You're listening to Real People with Jerry Pives right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Well, welcome to Real People in the Psychotherapist Chair. I'm Jerry Pives, and uh, today we've got uh, a wonderful guest, uh, someone I actually know personally. Uh, her name is Leanne Harling. And the reason I know Leanne is because she runs a, a sweet little coffee coffee cart in a in a part of Hawaii down here in the South Island, just close to Wanaka. And um, I met her uh, through that, and and it's become a very special place for a lot of local people. So it's my uh, it's my great pleasure to uh, welcome Leanne into the psychotherapist chair. Leanne, welcome. Thank you, Jerry. It's nice to be here. <laughs> well, we can see each other's faces, but the listeners won't. But um, there's a very beaming, smiley face coming at me down through the uh, the computer. So this series is all about what makes real people tick, what, what goes on, and how ordinary folk are managing these extraordinary times that we're living through. And I figured that it would be nice to talk to people that are doing things in their community uh, that are, I believe uh, or others believe are making a difference. So maybe we could start with you giving us a little bit of a picture of just what your average day looks like, Leanne. What, what sort of happens? Where do you live? Who do you live with? And, and what happens in your life on an average day if such a thing exists? <laughs> um, so I, I live here with my son. He's a builder. He's in his early 20s. Um, and I get up around on weekdays, 6.30, to, to make fresh scones for the day and other food that I need for the coffee cart. And then I um, open up at 7.30. Uh, so at the moment, with it being winter, I light a fire just prior to 7.30, a, uh, a campsite fire, I guess you'd call it. It's kind of a brazier that sits central so people can sit around. So then uh, people start arriving and the coffee cart has attracted <laughs> um, part of the community that like to speak their truth. And I guess that I have provided a place where they can do that freely. So speech is, you know, there's no limits to, you can say what you like at the coffee cart and you won't be censored or told off that sort of thing. So uh, it's that's what it's evolved to now. It didn't start like that, but it certainly is that now. So there's some really, really rich conversations, <laughs> interesting things. Um, what did a guy say to me today, a, a truck driver? He said he noticed my sign that said dogs must be on a lead and he's only been coming for about a week and he sits there and listens to conversations and he said, I think the people that come here need to be on leads. <laughs> <laughs> if that gives you an idea of a picture of that, you know, there's all, all sorts of people from all walks of life. That must make you a little bit akin to like what a village priest used to be, who used to hear all the ins and outs of what was going in any community. And I <laughs> I have to say that every time I've come and visited your your wonderful little coffee cart, I, I've you've always got a story to tell me about what someone said at some point, oh, yeah. and it's always highly entertaining oh, and sometimes is. very revealing. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I, I feel blessed. I'm really lucky to be doing this. I, I'm in my right place, if you know what I mean. Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. And just to give the listeners an idea, can you describe how it looks, your your little coffee cart? And, and kind of, you don't have to give the, but it is in Hawea. And I want to say anyone who visits Hawea should definitely go visit. But but it's it's. Do you want to just give a description of what they would see if they came to your to to your place? So the coffee cart is situated in my driveway. So, and it's sheltered in behind some trees. So you can't physically see it from the road when you're driving past. All you'll see is a coffee flag out the front. So I have a larger section. It's uh, three quarters of an acre. My house is tucked in the corner. So I live on site. Um, it's a little black trailer. It's um, with power shells along the top. 
and um, chrome bits and it's it's somebody would call it I don't know what you'd call it um, it's it's just really creative Jerry <laughs> you know it's got lots of bits and pieces you'd have to see it really <laughs> well I guess if people went to your website they'd be able to see a picture of it wouldn't they My so, Facebook page they could yes yeah and on the Facebook page do you want to say what that is just in case anyone wants to hightail there it's now. Camp Hill Coffee Camp Hill Coffee yes that's on Facebook. it yeah yeah uh, and if you go on the internet Camp Hill Coffee comma Hawea H-A-W-E-A then uh, it'll also come up on the Google search so that's yes. uh, that's also there so so how long have you been running this quirky little coffee cart? I mean, I I, I can describe it a little bit. The Hawea Lakeside, is it? It's, it's called Hawea Flats. And, and I think the, the long road is called uh, Camp Hill Road, Hill isn't road. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's nice and easy. So, And this is long, long, long road. And and there, there in this, just by the school and the, the village hall, is your little uh, driveway, which opens into a, a lovely, rather magical garden. And there's a little sort of, uh, well, it's like a shed, isn't it? Just to one side with a brassiere in the winter and everyone's huddled around it. And it's it's incredibly friendly. It's very communal and it's very hard to sit there and have your private conversations with a latte. Although people do it. I see a lot of cyclists come there. But I see all sorts of people, workers who are working around the area. And it's got this lovely, cosy feel about it. And there you are standing in your in your cart and, and got a friendly word and a, and a kind word to everyone who comes in. I think you you make it a really friendly place. And it's one of those few places I remember where, where actually, you know, like where people are encouraged to talk with each other, like communities used to do before the phones yes. came out and everyone just went to have their lattes and, and, and you know, look at their phones. Um, people actually talk and they don't always agree either. So it's quite no. Fun. Oh, no, there's been, yes. <laughs> Yeah, there's been some interesting visitors that have cleared the place pretty quickly. <laughs> you never, <laughs> I welcome you never everybody. Can... So, you know, it, it, of course you're going to get diversity among that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because that's that's the beautiful thing, isn't it, to everyone is welcome. Yes. And that has been so rare. We might come back to that, uh, Leanne, at some point. But just in terms of um, what gave you the idea of this and how long has this been going? It's been running for two years in March, just been. So I worked for a long time um, in the local primary school, actually, and that ended. uh, And I had about three months off trying to decide what I could do next with my life. And a coffee cart seemed, I don't know why, I just thought that Harwear Flat needed something. Now, the population was growing, the place was getting bigger, and you can't get a coffee for miles here in Howie Flat. So I, um, and it kind of fell into place and I'm a really creative person. So in them three months uh, from leaving my long-term role at the school was a, a relatively traumatic period for me because of how I felt when I left the school. And so being creative and creating that coffee cart area helped me deal with that. So for three months, I was just really, really creative uh, Painting, you know what I mean? Decorating, putting the power shelves up, putting a menu on, doing all the stuff, thinking that one day it might be open. Um, <laughs> and that day came uh, in, on, in March, the 24th, actually, in 2021 is when it officially opened. And it sounds like it sounds like that in itself was quite a psychological healing to me. It sounds like yes. you use that time and you use your creativity to heal yourself of what you just called a trauma. Mm. What what sort of trauma was it with the school? What what what, what happened? Uh, Can you say? <laughs> I'm not I, I'm not allowed to talk about it, except that it wasn't really my choice to leave. Um, it wasn't because of the mandate. That was just prior to that. Just the prior to the mandate. Yes. So there was some kind of uh, problem or conflict. Yes. yes, within the staff. Yeah, within the staff, and and you can't talk about it. So yeah, that's fine. Um, and it sounds like it traumatized you. Is that right? Presumably, I you did. can't talk about that. 
it did. Um, it, I I know now that it was completely meant to be, and I'm grateful for it happening um, because I would, I, you know, I would have lost my job in the mandate anyway. Yes. So that trauma was going to come, <laughs> whether I left at the end of the year or <clears throat> at the end of the next year. And of course, we've actually got several people who work <laughs> at schools uh, who visit your your coffee cart. I can think of two at least in particular. Uh, who uh, also found themselves gravitating and and have spoken to me independently of the value they find of, of having a place where they're just accepted um, and they're not uh, in any way kind of frowned upon for for their views or their ideas. Um, and I think that's that's you know that there are other there have been other people who have suffered a great deal from um not just what's happened in the last three years with with government policy but what happens in life i mean you know sometimes we go through life don't we and then something erupts and it's often out of our control and and indeed that's often the traumatic element of it that that it was things often happen outside of our control i have no idea what happened to you and i'm not going to pursue that one but what I'm what I'm thinking about is what I'm really interested in is how you used your creativity and you kind of use that as a a way of dealing with your trauma. Yeah, that's the only way I know how to. <clears throat> well, that's what works for me, I suppose. Mm. I don't even I'm not aware of the time that that's what I'm doing. But when but when I look back and reflect, I th- I see that always happens for me if I suffer great trauma as the creative person comes out and or you uh, lose yourself within that creative body something happens mm. and it helps a lot well there there are um I'll probably talk about this a bit in in my little kind of uh educational chat that I follow these with but there are different ways that we all process things you know we all are different and some of us process things very physically, you know, people sometimes go off on great treks. You know, there's um, there's a wonderful YouTube fella who walked all around Britain uh, because he was very very anxious and de- depressed as well. And the physical walk for him, for about you know, I think it was about a year. He 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 ended up having quite a following it was a bit of a forest gump story actually it was oh. <laughs> and, he, and and then he you know so so for him it was very physical and and for you it's very creative and for others it can be very much to do with um understanding and working things out uh, sometimes with a therapist like myself and sometimes um, just with friends and family and having a, a, a lovely supportive network where we can just kind of lick our wounds and put ourselves back together again, because I think it's important to understand, isn't it, that trauma can fragment us. It kind of can break us up a little bit. And so we need to do a bringing back together. And that sounds like what you did, Leanne. That's wonderful. Well, I did, but then I didn't realise even bigger trauma was coming. but I had already kind of been through a massive trauma so I already felt kind of strong and equipped at the beginning to deal with something that was out of my control once again (laughs) even bigger than before um yeah and it's really interesting to me that that what is emerging straight away in this conversation is the role of things being out of control, that, that we we do not have control, is central to almost every trauma that people who are traumatized often experience something happening to them that is outside of their understanding or outside of their control. And then we have to try and work out, find and navigate our way through. So, yeah. So my um, entire coffee cart experience has been that. <laughs> And you only realise that afterwards. Now, yeah, I, I've yeah. known for a wee while, but yes, yeah, yeah, it's dawned on me. Um, it's it's healing the coffee cart. And when you well. when you look when you look back, Leanne, when you look back through your life, it sounds like you've done that before as well. That you've that's how you've processed or dealt with things. I think so. 
yeah, I haven't always dealt with things in a good way like that. But um, if you're in control of your trauma, uh, I've had out-of-control trauma as well where, um, for example, my father died when I was quite young, so I went on a drinking rampage, that sort of thing. Whether that changes with maturity and you deal with it different as you get older, I don't know, but I wouldn't deal with that. So when my mother died some years later, I dealt with it quite differently. Do you know what I mean? So creativity, I've learned from being on 50, in my 50s. So I guess across my life, I've learned that the best solution for me is the creativity to work through those traumas. It doesn't, it's not harmful like other healings or whatever you do with alcohol and whatnot to get rid of stuff. That's not good. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and, and that, that is really interesting. And how, how old were you when your father died, Leanne? So 26. I wasn't really young, but um, I was kind of really just starting adulthood properly. Yeah, and it was, unex- it was unexpected. So it was a so, sudden death. Yeah, and I have said so one of my siblings was still 16 and at home, that sort of thing. So that was hard too, you know, for them. And so... What's interesting is um, you went at that time, and obviously you were old enough to drink, so it would be easy to get hold of hold of alcohol. You you went from uh, that trauma, and you reached out for something that would, as it were, soothe the pain. So alcohol is used, isn't it, to um, numb it? Yeah, numb it or take away the numb, thought. Numb temporarily. The pain. Temporarily. <laughs> Yeah. How long of a rampage was it, if you you don't mind me asking? (laughs) Oh, it went on for some months, you know, until I ended up having having a car accident uh, on his birthday of all days and um, things like that. And then it probably went on for years, actually, Jerry. The drinking side, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, i i came from a I came from a, a drinking family. Uh, I wonder if if was that was that a, a method of dealing with things that you had learned from the people around you when you were growing up at all? Was that a no? Was that a pattern? Alcohol wasn't part of my childhood. My parents didn't drink. Um, how did they deal with trauma? My parents, I don't know. I saw my father had anger issues, uh, and my mum just cried. I don't know. Yeah. Because I think I think what's really interesting is how we learn what we learn and 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 what we work out for ourselves, you know, because often as when we're very little, we learn certain uh, we look at the big people around us and we look for how how they deal with things. Um, but that doesn't always decide it. And it's really interesting that the the environment never fully explains why we all do certain things in certain ways. Um, and it sounds like your parents didn't drink. No. Um, so how did they deal with, how did they deal with upset or, uh, or disappointment or, or indeed trauma? You said they had quite a bit of trauma in their time. No, they didn't. Um, no, 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 they probably didn't. Um, oh, they didn't. I thought I must I must have misheard you. I thought you said they had trauma, but you maybe said well, they didn't have Well, my mother lot. had trauma when she lost my dad, and so she went into a depression. He died yeah. when she was 47, so that was also menopause time, right? Yeah. She had a really, really rough few years, which, of course, doesn't, you know, branches out to the rest of her children and things that watch that happening. So she didn't deal with it at all, and she ended up um, having to be on antidepressants, uh, I think, for the rest of her life. She's gone as well. Yeah. She couldn't. She had a lot of trauma in her life, and that's why, and she died of cancer. So she carried trauma always, and I believe it ate her up. Yeah, I'm just pausing just to absorb what you're saying, Leanne, and just really uh, kind of acknowledge the the pain of actually carrying trauma and and it somehow festering inside. I think is what you're saying. Is that right? 
yeah, she put uh, to start her life, she was born, she had a heel up in a cleft palate. Do you know what that is, Jerry? Say it one more time. A heel up in a cleft palate. No, you're gonna have to explain that to me. It's when you're born and you've got a gap in your lip here. It's so just, just underneath the nose. Yes, it hasn't formed to seal and you're left with a gap. But she yes. also it also extended to the roof of her mouth, which had a hole. In this day and age, when it happens and a baby's born like that, it's a very simple sort of procedure and operation to fix it. But back when she was born, it was a huge thing. And she was left at the hospital by her parents. That was the first trauma. She was actually left. Yeah. That she wasn't that she looked horrible, ugly. And she and she was adopted or, or what yeah. happened? But the sad thing is for her, she was adopted by loving people, but it was her grandparents. It was her mater, her maternal grandparents, so her her biological mother's mother. So she was raised as a sibling, if you see what I mean, to her aunties and uncles. Who was her mother? Her birth mother. Yeah, she was raised as her, her sister. Her birth mother was raised as her sister. Yes. Sorry, she she grew up thinking. <laughs> Got to get this right. No, she, she always grew- knew. Uh, she always knew because she had court cases when she was a child because her birth parents didn't want to sign her up for adoption, even though they didn't want her. So she had to fight for the right to be adopted by her grandparents. Wow. And when she was twelve, she was allowed a voice in court. So she was finally able to adopt that name and officially be, you know, with her grandparents. With her grandparents. But in the school holidays, she was dropped to her birth parents to play with her birth siblings because they were they continued having kids after she was left at the hospital. Goodness so her trauma started I'm, very early on. Yes. Right, and it right from the, it continued. Right from the get-go. Yes. Yeah. And did she... Did she live with? So she had surgeries. She had surgeries to uh, correct that as a young child, but she was still having cosmetic procedures. I can remember when I was a little girl, she had to go and have an operation, her final operation to take a scarring lump off the outside. But she had perfect speech and everything like that. She wasn't disabled in any way, shape or form. She ate well. Everything was fine. But it was a it was hard in the beginning to feed her and things. She took up a lot of time for her carer. Yeah. And she was called Gail because there were Gale forced winds that night that she was born. And Joyce after a sister in the hospital. Because they left her, so she was left there <laughs> dumped. <laughs> Crazy, hey. What an amazing story. Yeah. And um, to be named after, I think names are very interesting. And I've found over the years that why and what a person is named for can have a great a great significance in how their life unfolded. And to be named after a storm or a gale and to be named after a ward sister as opposed to some family member, which is offered the case. I mean, until until the last sort of twenty years or so, most people would have named their children after a family member, a father, a mother, a grandparent. Is is has been the common thing. So she was she was absolutely cut off, even though she was brought up by the grandparents. She went and spent she, time with them in the school holidays. Yeah, but I'm I'm just thinking about her birth. I'm thinking at the time of her birth, yes, she was rejected. Yeah, she was. She was abandoned. So abandoned. years and years later when my dad died and she was a 47-year-old woman, that trauma, she was abandoned again. She felt like he had abandoned her this time. So, so this trauma resurfaced. Mm-hmm. And I think... This is such an important. I was aware that she carried trauma. I was aware of that as her daughter. Yes. I was aware when she got ovarian cancer, I felt like it was a result of carrying the trauma. She Mm. never dealt with it. Yeah. 
And and I suspect she never had much opportunity to deal with it either. Probably not. I mean, these days, these days, we're mu- there's so much more awareness of of um, you know what is going on psychologically and mental health in relation to trauma. And and but back in the day, um, you know, I think it would have been. I mean, she must have been born in what would that have been? Nineteen forty something. Uh, 1950. 1950. Behaviour-wise. I remember saying to her when we were adults, after working in a school for so long, I got to see different behaviours with children and whatnot. Would you have considered that he had a, you know, an ADHD or something like that, Mum? And Mum said to me, well, back in the day, you never ever went to the doctor for behaviour problem. You, you only ever it. went if your child was half dead, actually. That's the only time you ever went. <laughs> So yeah, and, there was there wasn't that. Uh, even when we were children, there wasn't the mental health. No, no, it didn't exist. And and which part of New Zealand were you growing up in? Was it down down this end of the world, or was it somewhere else? It was. It was in uh, Western Southland. Yeah. So uh, a seaside town called Tuatapu, which is on the southwest coast. Most people will have heard of Riverton, actually. So it's about a thirty-minute drive around the southwest coast from there. Yes, and and I'm wondering, um, you know, on you're saying that your your brother, um, your brother was younger than you, was he? Both of my brothers were. Yeah, uh, yeah. You've got two yeah. brothers, two brothers yes. younger. So you were the eldest in this family yes. setup, and 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 so you would have been probably more aware. Um, of kind of what was going on earlier, I, I suspect. Uh, old Oldest child often has much more insight into what's going on. Uh, would that be fair to say? Oh, yeah. I had, um, as a, a small, a young girl, young, I can remember feeling like it outgrown my family already. <laughs> I I was felt uh, trapped in a small wee town with yes. small-minded people. Mm. And I knew as a young girl, isn't it interesting, <laughs> that uh, I was born for better things mm. than to sit there for the rest of my life. And yeah. It's like, I don't know. Weird. <laughs> you know, I, I'm fascinated at how you you found such a creative way out of trauma and you had grown up knowing that trauma was being carried by by your mother. And then as an adult, uh, you know, whilst you were off on your drinking spree, uh, your mother was kind of re-stimulated. A, a, an old, her first trauma was re- reappearing with your dad's death, and so she was. She went into, uh, you know, you say that she she cried, um, and she became very depressed, and she was on antidepressants, and. You, well, you I were going to, to. It was a trauma to get her to the doctor. It wasn't easy because she didn't want to face it. And then yeah. when she did go to the top doctor, she broke down and let it all out. And then what happened was the doctor broke down at the same time with her, and and stopped working. Like type scenario. Oh, well, they sorted their own trauma. <laughs> So the doctor was carrying a whole bunch of trauma. Must have been. And my mum must have unlocked that <laughs> somehow. So your mum, this is amazing. Your mum turned up after after you, the 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 well, you were 26 at that point. After I made you, an appointment with her GP, <clears throat> the local town and, doctor. Yeah. And you kind of frog marched her into the GP. <laughs> oh, it wasn't easy, but she went, yep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I only and found she, out this later. She she must have broken down, like I mean, sobbing, crying, letting out whatever. She, I don't know. Can't I don't know what that was like. But it would yeah. have been big. 
if you know what I mean. There would have been a lot pent up, wouldn't there, inside? I think so. And I think at that point she must have done that. And the doctor, I don't know what happened, but the doctor didn't do so well for a while. Must have triggered something. My mum's grief must have triggered something. And isn't that interesting that we, that the way in which one person's trauma if the trauma is allowed to be expressed, it triggers everyone else's trauma. It doesn't uh, do. And so if you're if you're in a community or a culture where the grieving and, and this is all about grief, isn't it? This is this is grief at your father's death and probably grief at, at her own abandonment by her birth parents for herself when she was a child. So you got layer upon layer, and I won't bore you, but, you know, the research is very strong on this, that, that actually we're more likely to be traumatized if, if we've got re- history of trauma. And I, I want to remind you that you said, oh, no, I don't think they had much trauma. And now we're, now we're covering such a, an, a can, well, not a can of worms, but such a deep, deep amount of pain and grief going on that you're, uh, and, and she would have been carrying that. And of course, as a young child, I wonder if that impacted you, do you think that, that she, you said she cried a lot and you said your dad shouted a lot or he had anger issues. And 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 you said no, that she, she was yeah. I suppose she only cried with um, big events, not all the time. Sorry. Um, okay. It was quite stoic most of the time. Very uh, hard, you know. Held all that back and in. Yeah. Within. Uh, so so she wasn't collapsed by the trauma. She became hard with it. Yes, she did. With the abandonment. Yeah. From, yeah, yeah. That's what I yeah. think. Yeah. Um and. and- and my dad had just had a um, a temper where he was he would get angry, you know. Yeah, he would lose the plot. At, I don't know whatever he was doing at the time, but that anger you just grew up. So I was never ever, um, um, you know, it wasn't a, um, physical. It was within him, but it was unreal to watch. <laughs> you know, a fuse blowing. And would he direct his anger at things then? Yeah. So I'll give you an example. Um, my rabbit, my pet rabbit, was eating his carrots in the garden. He wanted to shoot the rabbit because it was because he was precious about his garden. Um, he got his gun, which which was a had a lever that you pulled out the side to, uh, and it would click, you know, but it didn't click into place, so you could load it. So it flicked closed and cut the top of his fingers off. So the rage and the rabbit, meanwhile, still eating the veggies, right? (laughs) So the rage. So he comes inside saying to my mother, swear swear word, swear word, fix this, swear word, swear word, fix it, and booted the washing machine and broke his toe. Oh. You know, and the fury of the anger. So much damage can happen. And we would witness this. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. And, and what was that like? I mean, what must have that been like to grow well, up? Well, it was easy because we were, I didn't know. It was just uh, common. It it's was what you were used to. You just stayed out of the way, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. But what do you think its impact was on you, Leanne? To, to what did what do you think when you look back at that and when you're what age are you when you when you're witnessing this particular rabbit I was finger a loss? Oh, I was probably early teenager at that point, yeah, you know, twelve yeah. something like that. There. Um, were you scared? Were you? Were you? Were you? Uh, uh, I know the scare. Uh, well, you wouldn't get in the way because that would be. <laughs> I don't know. I never got in the way to know that, but you just knew it. Do you know what I mean? You knew. You, just had an you knew. That you stay out of the way and you'll be fine. Yeah. And, and you were. <laughs> uh, what yeah. did I see? Yeah. Somebody that was completely out of control. I don't know. I haven't really analysed it. Um, no. I know that it ha- has happened to me in my early years, raging out of control over ridiculous things and having to try and overcome it. It's, yeah. Um, and I knew that come directly probably from watching it. You know, you learn behaviours, don't you? 
Yes, isn't it? Isn't that interesting, really, when we stop and we think about how we learn to process our emotions? And what you saw was was someone who was clearly struggling to control his emotions. Interestingly to me, though, the anger seemed to get directed back at him. He chopped his own fingers off and he broke his own toe. Yeah. So, so got worse and worse for her. And then I guess what would happen then? It would end somewhat, but he would go take himself away, I guess, to calm down. And then we could deal with the situation, what was wrong with his toe and his hand and, every, you know, but it would take a, you know, it must have been hard for my mother. <laughs> um, yeah. But I had an incident uh, maybe about three years ago. I just had to take my dishwasher out for this uh, because it was going to be replaced. And the leg must have been stuck on the vinyl, right? So I'm just, and I'm calm. There's, I've had a great day, I'm pulling, and it's stuck, and I'm pulling, and I know in that moment I could just let it go and walk away, but no, I, there's a switch, and I ripped it out, and I ended up breaking the leg on the dishwasher and ripping a hole in the vinyl, <laughs> all in a matter of losing the plot and ripping the thing out rather than walking away. Well, I'm always tested. <laughs> you didn't break your toe, though, did you? No, I don't go that far. <laughs> I almost laughed after that experience. I've done this so many times. I know it was just yeah. a silly, you know, decision on my part to continue. And, and it's interesting because you're using the word trigger, and I think this is really important when we are talking about traumas because sometimes you're an outsider or an observer, someone looking on, might actually think, well, what a state to get yourself in for such oh, a yeah. small thing, yeah. you know. And and yet when we're in that state, and when we when we become triggered, it's almost like we go into a mindless state. We're not really oh, paying totally. attention. No. No. And and there's a super strength that comes on board as well. That's what I feel. I'll get mm. the dishwasher out regardless. You know, you know, you know, I it's, and then yeah, I'm gutted because I've broken it and probably ruined the warranty all in a split-second decision. Well, I'm sure you're the only person in New Zealand who's lost the plot and broken something either of themselves or the furniture. They regretted it much later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is this is really fascinating. I'm talking to Leanne Harling from the uh, Camp Hill Coffee Cart in Hawea. And we're discussing really how we manage and deal with trauma. And we're looking at the, the family roots of, of how we deal with trauma, because no one responds to trauma in the same way. We're all different and we all manage trauma in a different way. Um, and uh, we're learning quite a lot of important information, really. I wonder if we can go back any further, Leanne. What about your grandparents? Uh, we know already that your mother's grandparents were... Uh, you know, took her on uh, despite her disfigurement and her rejection by the parents. So we already know something about them. Do you, what do you know about how how the grandparents lived and what kind of lives they had? How hard were their lives? I don't. I didn't know any of them. They all died right young. Uh, however, my mum talked about um, her dad being a drunk, but a very very happy drunk. That used to drive her mother insane. <laughs> um, so because she was raised by her grandmother, she had trauma there too. She was 16 when her she called it considered her her mum when she died in her arms. <laughs> My poor mum. So she she lost her when she was 16. Um, so that and but but you know her and her dad. She loved her dad. He was just a happy guy, but a drunk. You know, worked hard, um, had a lot of love, but uh, frustrated the heck out of her mother. I think my dad, my dad doesn't have a lot of childhood memories. Uh, he was one of those a typical. He there was a family of thirteen. They were very poor. Not many memories of childhood. He was illiterate, couldn't read or write, didn't have much of an education. Um, his father, he didn't really know his father. He was really close to his mum from what I, I, I do remember her briefly. She died when I was seven. Um, he loved her a lot. So she was just a simple lady that was always pregnant and had lots and lots of kids that she, you know, of course, when, and I think they separated, so you didn't get any 
uh, allowance for your you know DPB or support for a single mother. So she had to raise these children on nothing, I suppose. So they had somewhat of a, my dad in particular had a hard childhood. So I remember a lot when I was growing up, uh, my disregard for looking after a brand new pair of shoes or a bicycle, things like that would make him very upset. Because I'm lucky to have that type, you know, I think a lot of us have had that. <laughs> you don't know, you're ungrateful. You don't know how lucky you are to have a pair of shoes to walk to school in, you know. So, I, and I hated that growing up. I thought, for God's sake, we're living in different times. Why do you keep throwing that in my face? That is not my fault. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an echo. Uh, and, and it's really interesting, isn't it? Because in all the division that, that is being created in New Zealand today by trying to separate and divide people by colour and gender and put Kiwi against Kiwi, um, I think it's really often what gets missed in all of this is how very tough life was for so many New Zealanders, whether you're Maori or not, you know, whether you're Pacifica, whether you come from the, the, the Scots, you know, whether you're wherever you came from and whatever was happening, life was very hard for a lot of us. It was. And it was much. My parents. I feel like my parents were slaves to the government, and they didn't. They died before retirement, Jerry. You know what I mean? Said, but that's a ripple. It sounds like only your paternal grandmother was that you only knew your paternal grandmother. Is that right? Yeah. To meet. Yeah, I met her biological parents as well. My mum's biological parents. I knew them. My mum always said to us growing up, "This is what happened to me." However. I don't want to stop you having a relationship with them if that's what you want. But I always felt like, uh, well, I didn't want to because I didn't like them. They, I had a bad vibe from them. That, but also I thought that was a bit of a slap in her face. I could sacrifice that. Um, but I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything. Yeah. And and how did it turn out for you, Leanne? Because when we started, you did say you were um, living with your son in his early 20s. So what, what happened for you as a, as a young woman and, and becoming a mother? Can you share a little bit about that? Because I, I wonder how that would have uh, impacted you, really. All, all that history that you've described is quite a lot to be carrying on your shoulders as you go forward and become a young mum and all of that. Um, so I met a young man when I, when I was 19. I moved to Melbourne. And I have some a couple of years later, I met a man that I brought back and married him. Um, he's my son's father. So we separated uh, amicably. He's still my best friend. But he, uh, for me, he drank too much. Once again, I don't come from a family of drinkers, so and I don't know how I ended up with one. Uh, actually, we both were, Jerry. So when I said I was having my wee spree, we both were. But when I got pregnant, my life changed, of course. And his stayed as it was, as we, you know, we were both in that, doing that, drinking together. Yeah. I got yeah. pregnant, and obviously, like I can see that's where it so slowly started having separate lives. So when our son was seven, we um, separated. And he's still your best friend. He is. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, that's so that's so lovely to hear that you've managed to sustain that, yeah. uh, and and that connection. And how many how many children have you got? Just one. Just the one son. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, this is this is really interesting because um I'm thinking about the the role of alcohol in your own early experiences of trauma and then how it's appeared also going back in your family roots so that your your um paternal grandfather um was was what was described as a happy drunk, but yeah. but not so happy because it sounds like your paternal grandmother, it sounds like she had a pretty hard time with that. So I'm wondering how happy a drunk he was and what that expression might hide. It sounds like this, the expression a happy drunk could potentially hide a multitude of sins. What do you think? <laughs> Mum sort of described he'd come home from the pub happy and she would be upset because a job hadn't been done that needed or something like that. And he would refuse to argue with her, absolutely flatly refuse. He'd smile and 
and she would scream <laughs> at him and she got nothing. He was just smiling. That's what she meant by happy. Yeah. 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 He didn't have a, 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 a an evil bone in his body as far as that. He's just a very happy drunk. <laughs> But yeah, he must yes. have had trauma, I suppose, or something. I don't know. I've got no idea. Do you? I was going to say, do you know? Do you know anything about you know how far back your family history no. goes? Does it go back any further at all? I mean, the, my my mum did some genealogy. You know, we did a genealogy course and that together, and we've traced names, but we don't know anybody. No, we don't know. Do you know? Do you know where they came from and where their roots were? Where your family roots we were come from? English, and like it looked like we come on on whaling boats and things like that. But um, with what I've learned in the last few years, Jerry, I have no idea where I'm from. My mind's changed a lot with that. But supposedly. In the time when I was younger and we did this look, it looked like a family come in from England and Scotland, you know, those areas. Yeah. And what's changed for you then? I'm just fascinated by what you just said. You said Everything. you don't know where you're from anymore. No, I don't. Everything has changed, Jerry. What do you mean? You don't know whether you came from an alien or? Um, <laughs> Something like that. I mean, I don't think I came from an alien, but it's something like that. I just, everything that I have been taught, I think is a lie. And my world, as I knew it, has, is, is not anymore. My reality, as I knew it, has changed, like for the better, I think. But, um, you know, it's been an interesting. God. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're we're touching on something which uh, is a very big subject for you, um, and I'm just thinking about uh, what you feel you once believed or or knew that you know that you no longer believe or you doubt. Is that what you're saying? That you now have more more questions, or you think things are changing? Give me help me out here, Leanne. I'm 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 floundering. <laughs> Um, for me, it sounds ridiculous, but I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> One of the most, I, I started looking into things with the vaccine rollout, which started with looking at that. And it led to other things and other things and other things. Um, and one of the most massive things I've probably found out is that, you know, I do <laughs> It's difficult to get it out. I don't believe that we're living on a spinning globe. There you go. So that big. Yeah. <laughs> so that's massive for me. It didn't, I didn't like I, I I once thought, well, it doesn't, what does it matter? Whether it's that or this or that or this, what does it matter? But I, I'm I'm changing every day. <laughs> It well, does it's very, it's, very it, it's actually become very topical in the last two days because Elon Musk, who's meant to know about space and, and all of this stuff, he just did an interview uh, recently and he talked about um, uh, the great catastrophes and ancient civilizations as if the history we know is he was really hinting very strongly that and I think he knows a thing or two that fella. I, I, I don't entirely know about him, but I think. But Elon Musk uh, did an interview that that's been going the rounds in 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 the sort of what I call the free thinking channels, and he was talking about. I only caught a, like a thirty second glimpse of this, so I, I can't speak with any authority. But he was talking about ancient catastrophes and ancient civilizations. Um. It's and, yeah. and he was talking about the magnetic pole not being what we think it is. Now, it yeah. sounded like he was saying things are not as we've been told. And, and um, you know, so... But, and, and but of course, for me, they are, though, as they feel. <laughs> <laughs> th with all of this knowledge, it makes me feel I, I'm stoked. I'm, I like... 
the fact that I'm not on that because I didn't like that feeling. What feeling? On what? Spinning on a ball in the middle of infinite nothingness. Yeah, and and being being descended from a shrew for goodness sake. I mean, yeah, I never felt right. I um, (laughs) as a little girl, I knew. Yeah, this is really interesting for me. All of this, so it's brought up something that I was shut down when I was little. So now I'm back in line with how I felt when I was a young girl, and I feel really good about that. So something was shut down when you were little. I wonder what that was. What did you? What happened? Something happened when I started school, and I don't know what it was because I don't remember what it was. However, I ended up with a fear about dying and creation and God, so much so that I put my mother through so many trauma because I remember crying in bed night after night because I didn't know what happened to me when I died. I had all this sort of trauma, and I think now that I know what I know and I think back, I think you're born kind of knowing your roots but that is slowly indoctrinated out of you. And I must've gone to school and started learning something that I wasn't really aware, but if you know what I mean, I think that I was taught something that I knew deep down wasn't right. And it was causing grief in me as a child. Mum took me to church. She took me to see nuns. I went to church and they said, I said, well, I, how, how was the grass? And they said, well, God said there would be grass. So there was, he said there would be water and there was, and I, that wasn't good enough for me either. At that time as a young girl, and I had lots of questions and I was just shut down and I learned really quickly that actually I'm never going to know and no one can answer. So so you, at that point, shut down. When this has happened, I'm back there <laughs> thinking this, this is what was shutting down. This knowledge that I'm gaining now is what I was. I thought I lost, but I wasn't aware of it, if you know what I mean. So I'm hearing uh, some really interesting, uh, it, almost like I'm hearing a young philosopher at the age of five going to Four, school. probably, yeah. I'm Four. very happy. Yeah, before school, I was happy. Something happened when I started school, Jerry. I don't know what it was, but it upset me big. It might have been kids in the playground talking. I don't know. I can't no. remember an event, but no, I just know but- what come from, a lot of trauma come for me about where I'm from and who I am and how I got here. And you know, and I, I knew that other kids didn't care and ask those questions. So why the heck was I? Why did it bug me so much? Yeah, I didn't know. Well, and I still don't. <laughs> so it sounds like you were a philosopher to me. It sounds like you were someone who asked very deep questions. And oh, yeah, I've always asked like... a lot of questions. I know. It's annoying for people. This brings me right back to your coffee cart, actually, Leanne, because when I first came to your coffee cart, I I love history. And in the 18th century in English history, so there was this culture. As soon as coffee came on the scene, so too came a great deal of intelligence. I believe personally that coffee is is like a drug for our intelligence. So I'm I'm utterly addicted to it and I shall remain so to my dying day. But but what what I know is that when coffee arrived in Britain, coffee houses sprung up everywhere. And the 18th century population became addicted to coffee, rather like we are now here. I mean, New Zealand's a wonderful coffee culture. And I think that's why we come up with such brilliant solutions to everything. I know I talk with a with a with a posh English accent, but I am actually born Kiwi, so I am a wee when it comes to Kiwi. Uh, and I spent a large deal of my life feeling I didn't belong with them over there in the UK. So so um, and. and what I'm saying here is that the the um, the culture of the coffee house created so much. Some of the greatest thinkers of the 18th century developed their ideas in the coffee house, and some of the greatest businesses in the world, the East India Company, some of the most successful. They became they started life as conversations in coffee houses, and they developed into joint stock companies, and the world changed as a result of coffee. So I think you are coffee and thinking and deep questions you see when i when i walked into your coffee cart area your lovely little space with a with a glorious stand up table and a brazier and a little shed in case it's raining and it's just in your garden and it's ever so it's ever so homely and friendly and there's you smiling and inviting all sorts of conversations it makes me think that you know the the, the coffee house 
could can become a powerhouse for our future, you know, and, and certainly with what has happened, you and with all that's gone on in your life, this deep thinker, I, I sense that this deep thinker um would out, would come, and, and you've created this environment where people can talk deeply. I mean, when I've been there, I've sometimes I occasionally stopped talking. <laughs> And and I listen and around me, the conversations are buzzing, you know, and they could be about anything, but they're like two or three conversations. And I'm just very happy to sit my coffee sometimes and listen into these conversations because they're so deep. They're so so real. What I learned from the lady that, because prior to starting my coffee cart, I've had absolutely no experience in hospitality. So, and I didn't really visit cafes. I didn't drink coffee actually. So, the cafe cultural cafe, that scene wasn't something I'm familiar with. So I opened my coffee cart. The lady that trained me talked about this coffee culture that used to exist in New Zealand, and she said it's gone. And it was a culture where people would come in and you would talk from, if somebody was at two tables down, it didn't matter, you talked to that table. So everybody talked across the room to each other, right? She said, what's because she's been a barista for 20 plus years. So she's seen this. And what has happened over the years is now <laughs> no one talks across the tables. You go in, you don't even look outside your table. You put your head down at your table and that's where you stay. And there's none of that culture's gone. So when she sees my car, she's explaining to me, this is how it used to be. So isn't that interesting? That's wonderful. I, I'm hoping that anyone listening to this is going to be utterly inspired to open up <laughs> a little coffee shop in their garden for their local people and people can start talking to each other again because we, we're losing the art and it's almost as if there's a there's a determined effort to destroy our human connectedness, you know, and that's another very big subject. Um, but listen, look, we're... we're um, we're looking at, I'm talking to Leanne Harling of Huawei Coffee Cart, and we're discussing really the important things in life here. We're, we're discussing whether we're on a spinning globe. We're discussing whether, whether we've been lied to. We're discussing what it's like when people actually go for a coffee and actually talk to each other. And we're also discussing how we deal with trauma and this very, this creation of this this amazing little space, which very few people know about. It's like a secret little gem in our local area. And and, and you wouldn't know it unless you know it, uh, that it's there, really. You could easily drive past. And, um, and I think we're discussing also how this came out of trauma, that this, this actually was the creation of you, your Leanne, your your creativity bursting forward as a way of dealing with uh, an, what sounds like an upsetting trauma, a very tough trauma to go through as you left a, a local school. And it sounds like, you know, for people to walk into your little space and to know that trauma created this and your solution to trauma created this. You know, one of the greatest writers about trauma is is a man called Peter Levine, and he wrote an amazing book called Waking the Tiger. And in that book, he says that, you know, one of the things about trauma is really the wisdom that can come from it, that, that trauma carries a lesson if we can just hear it and process and and understand what the the trauma the trauma carries a healing within it that within the terrible things that happen to us there is a healing opportunity uh, and i i personally believe this about sickness too that when we're sick we're sick because we might we have something to learn and that life is a is a journey not a destination that life is a continuous unfolding and discovery of who we are and what life is. And, and I think like you, I was a bit of a philosopher when I was little as well. And, and that set me on this path. There's very little distinction between, you know, spiritual understanding, philosophy, understanding, and psychology, all those three to me wrapped together. Um, and, and, and I'm thinking about how trauma 
the trauma of past generations led you to being able to find a really beautiful and positive solution to your to a traumatic situation which has now resulted in something that not only was good for you but is changing your local community because i know that there were times in the last 3 years where you were the only place where some of us could go for a cup of coffee everywhere else kicked us out we weren't allowed in restaurants because we didn't agree with some idiot in wellington yeah telling us what should what should go inside our bodies what we should put inside our bodies and we were punished yeah. for disagreeing now if I'm if that doesn't sound good. i hate discrimination actually that yeah. comes from a young age my father was a racist and uh i hated it with a passion i've always hated that sort of behavior so that comes from, and so when this come up i just hated it straight away <laughs> Hated it. And it, isn't it, yeah, it not- so so ironic that uh, a, a, a government, a politician who touted herself around the planet, around the world as this wonderful, caring, kindness, you know, take one for the team, um, was brutally and maliciously targeting anyone who didn't do exactly what she wanted them to do, which is the very the very footprint of fascism, of trauma, uh, sorry, of totalitarianism, I mean. It is, you it's know, totalitarianism, uh, ruling by fear. That's what she did. And, and, and uh, so, very well, too, I might add. I feel, like, I feel like you've just opened up another amazing Pandora's box of valuable conversation about racism and, and, and also how Kiwis have carried very racist views. There's a history of that. We know that. But, you know, what you've just described is someone who grew up in a racist, you know, with a racist father and made up your own mind about that. And that moved you to where you are. And yet now governments would have us in some way try and pay for past behaviors of people that are not us, they're our fathers or our grandparents, and we're not even racist anymore. So suddenly... And those behaviours that happened in the past didn't even happen anyway. So it's all based on a lie. Yeah. How many? How much truth can we tell? And and when you talk about you know historical guilt, well, you better get your history right. Yeah, that's exactly right, Jerry. You better get your history right because what I found out, I I studied history, and I'm discovering that practically everything we were told about history that's correct was was a lie. And I know, yeah, been... that's the division, always, always trying to create division. And yet in little old Hawea, just close to little old Wanaka, deep down in the South Island, rather beautiful part of the South Island, there's yeah. this little oasis called Leanne's Camp Hill Coffee Cart, and, and you you are much loved and much appreciated by members of the community. Uh, Leanne, thank you so much. Uh, I feel so rich from this conversation. Even I, you know, having met you and seen you in the busy coffee cart, there's so much here I didn't know about you and so much that I've I've appreciated you sharing and and being so open and honest about all the all the pain and suffering that has gone on in your family. And uh, my my wish is that every single sharing of our stories lightens us, un- unburdens us. Makes and, you stronger, and indeed. Makes you stronger. And, and also that somewhere in the in the other world, that when these things get kind of talked about and shared and made sense of. There's a kind of forgiveness that goes out into the out into the world, into the energy spheres, it is spheres, and and it kind of it heals past generations too. I, I I wouldn't do the work I did if I didn't have some spiritual idea that when we understand and we make sense of what's happened, we're also releasing the spirits of the dead, the, the ancestral spirits, so they can travel where they need to travel. I feel sometimes they're bound to us because we don't deal with these things. And that, of course, is is what my life's work is about, whether it's through body work and touch, which I think releases a great deal, 
and energy, whether it's through psychotherapy or, you know, whatever it is, whether it's through creativity. And I, I, I want to really acknowledge uh, what you've shared. So, Leanne, thank you so much. Uh, is there anything you want to say in, in, in closing <laughs> before we before we finish? No. <laughs> thank you, though, for um, hosting me, Jerry. Well, um, thank you. I didn't know the conversation was going to go this way, and it's felt like about five minutes. So, thank you. Yeah, it's been a fascinating. I'm going to I'm going to have a think now and think about some some of the psychological concepts that have come up here and talk about not you. I won't be talking about you anymore, but I'll be talking about some of the psychological concepts that might be of interest to listeners. So if you're listening, hang in there because I'm going to come back after I've said goodbye to Leanne and reflect a little bit on some of the psychological models that are very relevant to this conversation. Thank you so much, Leanne. You're listening to Real People with Jerry Pives right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio.